Um, we sang some songs this morning. I don't know if they penetrated you like they did me. I found myself weeping down here. When, it, when, when you hear nothing but the blood of Jesus, you know, there's something about blood songs that just hit you to the core. And, 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 and I think about, you know, when people ask you, what, what makes you so different? Or why are you a Christian? Or why do you act a certain way? It's like, somebody died for me. Somebody died for me. And when I sing, no other fount I know, oh, my goodness, it just, it, it, it just does something inside of me. And then we go, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And I'm thinking every moment I need you. And, and that's, where, that's where hopefully we launch you from here every Sunday is that when you walk out of here, you realize you're in desperate need of a Savior every single day. And then we believe that he's all to us. You know, I'm just going to finish up with a quick message here and just say amen just off of the songs that you sung this morning. Do you believe truly that he is all that you need? Do you, do you believe that he's, he's sufficient for you? He's all sufficient for you. And so the songs this morning have just been really meaningful to me, and I hope they have been for you. And we don't pick those songs just kind of, okay, what's popular? Let's, you know, we try and tie it all together with the message that you're going to hear today. And, and the message, as Pete said, is, is we're continuing in our study of Titus. And Titus is this little book that's tucked between First and Second Timothy and Philemon, Philemon and Hebrews. It's kind of in the Old Testament, one of the last books that um, Paul would write, and it's only 46 verses, and we really wanted to spend some concerted time in one book of the Bible during this six-week series that Pete and I have the opportunity to share with you to, to really drive home a message to a church, a church that had gotten off track, a church that Paul had established, and then he had turned it over to his young protege, Titus. And he told Titus, he says, there's a few things you've got to put in order um, that seems to have gotten out of order. Because when we talk about that, nothing but the blood of Jesus, you know, we're here because of the blood of Jesus. We're here because of what he's done for us on the cross. And it's a very simple message, but we tend as humans to confuse it from time to time and maybe forget about it, maybe get misled a little bit, maybe uh, add something to it or take something away from it. And that's what was happening to this church. And so here's Paul instructing Titus to Get this church back in order. And here's what I want it built upon. I want it built upon just the first couple verses of Titus. If, if there's one thing that you take out of this entire six-week series, it's just the first couple verses. And it says that I want them to grow in the knowledge of the truth. I want them to grow in the knowledge of the truth because the knowledge of the truth will lead to godliness. And we want what happens in the church which ironically is not this building. What happens in the church is you. You who proclaim to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the church. I want what happens in their lives to look different than what happens outside of their lives, outside of what happens on Sunday, at school or at work or in your community, at the bashes, wherever it might be. I want you to look like the church. I want you to look like you do on Sunday on Tuesday, when you're in the frozen food section looking about what type of pizza you're going to buy. I want you to look like you're the church. And what's happened here in Crete is, is this church has varied from the truth. They've been misled by leaders within the church. And it even says, and Pete so eloquently described the circumcision party, which isn't the type of party you want to go to, but it's the circumcision party, which meant the religious people we're starting to mislead their congregation. And so he said last week, he says, you need to appoint elders, you need to appoint teachers, leaders who are sound in the doctrine, who will teach what is true. 
And this is what they look like. And then the message turns to where we're going to take up today in Timothy, or T- Timothy in Titus chapter 2. And what we hear in Titus chapter 2 is, is two messages. And the main message today that you're going to hear, and I'm just going to give it to you right now, the main message of Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 that we're going to talk about today is the church is rooted in the truth. The church is rooted in the truth. If, if there's something we need to be reminded of over and over again, it's that we are rooted in the truth. We're not rooted in a false doctrine. We're not rooted in things that men have twisted and misled. We're rooted in the truth. And the truth is only found in one place, and it's in this book. And then the second half of what we're going to cover today is based on that truth in your lives We're called to live a certain way. And so there's instructions for us on how to live as a community so that we truly look different than the culture does. And so with all that as kind of a preamble to where we're going this morning, let me pray and give this time to the Lord. And then we're going to have some fun. Anybody up for some fun this morning? Good. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that it's timeless. We thank you that uh, for 2,000 years it's been changing lives. And Lord, even today as we look at your word and as it was written to a little church in Crete who had gotten off track, who'd, who'd lost their way, oh my goodness, Lord, it is applicable to us today. I do not want this church to look like the culture. I want this, to church, want this place and these people to look like your bride that you have chosen since the beginning of time and that your truth continues to, to change them into a life that looks so different than the culture that they're drawn to you. Lord, I pray that these words that we will investigate, that we will uh, uh, just wrestle with today would resonate in our hearts and would encourage us today, but also challenge us. And so, Lord, may it be your words that are heard this morning and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I've got a confession to make. This is Confession Sunday. Ever since I was a little kid, I've wanted to be a game show host. I've wanted to be a game show host. I think it'd be so much fun. And so today, are you guys ready to play a game? Are you ready to play a game? Let me hear from you. Okay. Well, this game, are we ready to play? Scripture, is it real or is it fake? Are you ready to play with me? Scripture, is it real or is it fake? We should have that theme music every Sunday. Now, that should be my walk-up music, yeah. That's 1978, classic match game. Oh, I remember watching that as a kid. Okay, so here we go. What I want you to do is take out your paper that you have there, and I want you to number 1 through 14. 1 through 14. And if those of you have a hard time counting to 14, go to the person next to you and have them label it for you. But I want you to label 1 through 14. And we're going to play the game today called Scripture. Is it real or is it fake? And here's what I want you to do. is just next to that number, I want you to put R for real, or F for fake. Real or fake. You ready to play? Okay, we're going to move through this quickly. Let's put up the first verse right here, and I'm going to read it to you. Have you not read all things in moderation be known to all? Real or fake? Now here, I don't have to remind you church people. I don't want you cheating. I don't want you looking on someone else's. I don't want you elbowing somebody. I want you to look down at your paper, eyes forward. Don't look at the neighbor next to you. Okay, next one. Here we go. This above all, to thine own self be true. Thou canst not then be false to any man. Real or fake? Real or fake? 
Okay, next one. Trust in the Lord, for the Lord works in mysterious ways. No laughing either. No nudging, no laughing. Look forward. Okay, look forward. No cheating. Okay, next one. Here we have up here. My son, do not despair. God helps those who help themselves. Quit laughing. Quit laughing. I'm going to expel you from the classroom. Okay? Real or fake? Okay, next one. Here we go. Pride goeth before the fall. Real or fake? Real or fake? And nobody whispering, helping each other. Okay, next one. Here we go. But I say to you, love the sin, hate, or love the sinner, hate the sin. But I say to you, love the sinner, hate the sin. This is fun. We're playing a game show. But you haven't said what you're going to win yet. But wait, there's more. Okay, here come. Next one. Here we go. Acquire wisdom. And with your acquiring, get understanding. Real or fake? Real or fake? Next one. For behold, I have refined thee. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Real or fake? Real or fake? Next one. Whoever shall put their trust in God shall be sustained in their trials and their trouble and their afflictions and shall be lifted up at the last day. Ooh, that one's a little bit tougher. Real or fake? I'm going to give you a little bit of more time on that one. Real or fake? Okay, next one. So let us, let not this present life deceive you. So let not this present life deceive you. Real or fake? Next one. My Lord, forgive and have mercy, for you are the preeminent of those who show mercy. Real or fake? Real or fake? Next one. And unto thy brethren have I said, and also given commandment, that they should love one another, and that they should choose me, their father. Real or fake? Now, some of you have stopped writing. I want you to, I want you to, we're, we're going to grade this later, okay? So, real or fake? Is there one more? Two more. The Lord said it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one immoral one to lose it. The Lord said it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one to lose it. Now, before we go to the last one, I know some of these have been tough. And I don't want anybody to walk out of here feeling dejected that you missed every single one of them, okay? So the last one is a gimme. Okay, ready? Learner and row is the way to go. Call 977-1900. Real or fake? No laughing. I'm going to have to expel you from the game show. I'm going to have to expel you from the game show. Learner and row is the way to go. Call 977-1900. Well, how do you think you did? Was it easy to get misled a little bit? Was it easy to potentially get confused? Was it easy to begin questioning yourself? Is this true or is it not true? Is it sound doctrine? Is it not sound doctrine? Have you heard perhaps some of those uh, verses given to you from time and time for possibly times of encouragement or time to lift you up or times of training? Um, have you heard potentially some of those? Well, we're going to grade it later. I want you to just let that stew in your soul for about the next 20 minutes or so, so as, we, as we continue in our look into Scripture. Because what, happens, what has happened in this church in Crete is they have been misled. 
And more specifically, they've been misled by their teachers, misled by who was put in charge. And so that's why there was a very important um, uh, uh, reiteration that we need godly leaders to be leading the church. And so that's what we talked about last week, because this group has gotten off track, and as I said, they've lost their way. In fact, it says at the end of verse 16 in chapter 1, it says, though they claim to know God by their actions, they deny Him, and they are detestable, disobedient, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. So what they've been being taught has led them off course to what, what is happening in the church now just looks like it's happening in culture. What's happening in the church looks like it's happening in the bar or in the school or in your classroom. Nothing looks different in these people's lives. And in fact, Paul says now they're unfit for doing anything, anything for good. And then we transition to chapter 2. And transition to chapter 2 starts with a, with a conjunction. And I love Paul because he's a rebel. And he starts a sentence with a conjunction. And don't you remember being in school that the teacher says you never start a sentence with a conjunction like and or but. And he says, I'm going to start it with but by golly because I want these people to understand that we're transitioning from false teaching to sound teaching. And so he says, but as for you, and you can look up on the screen as we go to chapter 2, verse 1 of Timothy. It says, but as for you, and that you is Titus, I want you to take us from this time of false teachers, misleading doctrine. So I'm talking to you, Titus. I want you, Titus, to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Some of your versions say speak with what accords with sound doctrine, or spit what, speak what's fitting with sound doctrine. Now, the two words I just want to look at real quickly as we look at just that first portion of verse 1 is that word speak or teach in your versions. That's a word that just literally means a conversation, an ongoing conversation. Titus, this is what I want you to do. Not just Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, I want you to teach, I want you to speak, I want this ongoing conversation within your church about what the truth is. It's not something where someone gets up in front of you on Sunday morning and says, okay, here's what the truth is. No, I want it not only Sunday, but I want it throughout the entire week. I want it goes on in your Bible studies, I want it to go on in your work, I want it to go in at your school, I want it to go on the playground, I want it to go in every aspect of your life. I want this ongoing conversation to evolve in you. So I want you to speak in, in continuity, just, just in your regular conversation, I want you to speak with what accords or what's fitting with sound doctrine. And that word sound literally means healthy. It means free from error. It means what is good for you. It's the vegetables on your plate that you don't necessarily want to eat, but it's you need to eat because if you don't eat vegetables, you're going to get blind, right? All of you who've got glasses, I need to talk to you about your vegetable intake. Because I was told by my mother, if I didn't eat carrots, I would be blind. Isn't that horrible? Well, that's what he's telling us here, is if you're not eating sound doctrine, if you're not ingesting regularly sound doctrine, guess what? You will be blind. You will be easily mis misled. You'll be easily confused. You'll be easily taken off course. And that's what happens. That's what's happened to this church. And so what we're seeing is, is a theme coming through Titus of teaching and preaching and living 
sound doctrine. We see it in verse 1 where it says, grow in the knowledge of the truth. We see it in verse 2 where it says, his word has been entrusted to Titus from God himself. In verse 9, chapter 1, it says, hold firm to the trustworthy or faithful word. In chapter nine, or verse 9, it talks about the teachers, the elders, give instruction in sound doctrine. In chapter 2, as we just looked, it says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And later on, as we look at this passage today in verse 7, he's an instruction to Titus specifically into the church to be pure in their doctrine. It's a theme that is carried not only through Titus, but throughout the entire book of the, of the Bible, the entire book of the Bible, you hear this. In fact, in our men's group, just on Friday morning, Mike did this great lesson in Kings where he talked about, if you stated the word, if you obey my teaching, if you do this, I promise this, but it all was contingent upon staying close to and meditating on the truth, what is real, because you can't tell what is fake unless you know what is real. And it is all over Scripture. And it's so easy, just as you're going to find out later, to get easily misled. As we were looking at those 14 verses, we'll say 13 because one of them was kind of a gimme. It's going to be easy to be misled. Let me tell you what that means by just being off a little bit. Because don't they say close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, right? Well, close doesn't count in Scripture, You've got to be dead on all the time. And it's not something that you're just going to gain on Sunday morning because just being a little bit off can lead you down to a path of destruction, can lead you much down further down the road than you ever thought you'd be just by being just one degree off. And maybe to illustrate that point, when I, um, when I graduated from college, I got married, and one of the things I kind of wanted to do was learn how to fly. And so I ended up working with a group of guys, and one of the guys had a plane, and he was an instructor. And so me being the manipulative type of guy I was, I eventually got close to this guy and said, hey, I understand you got a plane, and I would love to learn how to fly. Oh, well, you're an instructor too? That's surprising. I didn't know that. And so, so, so he said, oh, really, would you like to fly? I said, I'd love to fly. And, he, and I said, but I don't have a ton of money. And he says, no problem. He says, can you come down and clean out my hangar on a regular basis, and can you at least afford to pay gas. I said, I can do that. So I would go down and help him clean out his hangar, and then I would help him pay for gas, and we would go and fly. And oh my goodness, for those of you who have never flown before in a little plane, there's something freeing about that. You get in there, and you're just bumping around like this, and you can just see, and and the whole world is yours. gives you a whole different perspective on life. And there's a bunch of gauges that you have in front of you, and you're supposed to be looking out kind of surveying the countryside, but you're also kind of supposed to keep an eye on these gauges. These gauges are pretty important. They tell you whether you're running out of gas, the engine's getting too hot, if you're going down or if you're going up. But one of them that I just never really uh, thought too serious about was the compass. And and, and here's why. Because you're bouncing around, the compass is kind of bubbling around and stuff. But this guy, the instructor, kept telling me, I want you to fly at this coordinate. And, and, and the way the compass works is it's the degrees of uh, 360 degrees, a circle. And so let's say fly at 24 degrees. And so that means to fly at 24 degrees. So you fly in this direction. And what would happen to me is I would, I would go, okay, yeah, I'm going to get to 24 and I'm going to hold it. But then all of a sudden I get distracted. I start looking around. I start looking at the gauges. I start bumping around. I'm going to a tree and this and that. 
Well, hopefully I'm not seeing a tree. But, but, but I'm bouncing around. And, and the next thing he knows, he says, where are you supposed to be flying to? Or what, what coordinates? I go, 24. And the next thing I know, I'm at 20. And I'm going, come on. It's only four degrees. It's not that big of a deal. He says, no, get to 24. And so I pull it back to 24. And I'd be there for a while. And then all of a sudden, I'd be bouncing around. I'd be looking at things. And the next thing he'd say, where are you supposed to be flying? And I said, 24. And I look, and I'm at 22. I said, well, I'm closer, right? And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. You've got to be right on when, because everybody's, everybody's kind of dependent upon you at this point to be flying where you're saying you're flying and not randomly. And to illustrate that point, this is what he taught me. He said, if you're off one degree as you're flying, one degree, within a mile, you're going to be 92 feet off course. Well, that may not seem like that big of a deal. And when you're flying at a couple hundred miles an hour, it's easy to correct, right? Just one degree off. But let's say over a little bit more distance. So over one mile of flying one degree off, you're now 60 miles off. Or I'm sorry, over 60 miles, you're a mile off course. A little harder to come back into alignment. Now, if you were to circumnavigate the globe being one degree off to kind of give you maybe what our life is like, right? Maybe, maybe I've, I have a real active, vibrant church life. I'm holding to the truth. I'm in a Bible study. I'm in a small group. And maybe I start to wander a little bit. And it's easy to come back, right? But let's say I have a little dry spell and I've been away from the fellowship, away from the truth for maybe a few months. Maybe a few months have led to a year. Uh, it's a little bit harder to come back. Well, let's say now those months and years have turned into many years and maybe seasons of your life. You've circumnavigated the globe. Guess how far you'll be off? 500 miles. Just by being one degree off in your flight. One degree off. And so what Paul is telling Titus is these people may not have thought they were that far off, but they don't look anything like the church I originally planted here in Crete. And so pull these people back to sound doctrine because one degree really does make a big difference. And, in, and it's in Scripture. If we look, I pulled out a couple passages for you. These are his instructions to us. These are not my words. This is his instructions to us. And what's so great is, is this is God's way of communicating to us. This is the way in which he reaches us. It's funny, I'll have people come to me and say, I just, I just, I don't experience God. You know, he's just not speaking to me. I just don't see him in my life. And I go, well, are you in his word? And they go, well, kind of. And I go, well, let's start there. Let's get in his word. And, and let's start fellowshipping with him. Let's start talking to him. Let's start sincerely trying to get to know him. Let's start spending some time with him. Because this is his instructions to us. He's told us to meditate on it, to, 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 to devote ourselves to knowing this truth. Up here on the screen, I've got 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God. So these words that were written are God's words to us. It says that they are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Another word for that righteousness is that word we studied early on in Titus, godliness. Because our knowledge of the truth, when you realize that Christ died for you, that when we sing nothing but the blood of Jesus, it changes you. It changes the way you act, the way you talk, the way you think. These are God's words to us. In Romans 15, chapter, chapter, 
Chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in the earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. This is not just the place that you go to when you're in desperate need, although it's a good place to go. This is your daily instruction for life and for encouragement and to give you hope. The People magazine will not give you hope. And that's another confession I have to make. <laughs> Men don't like to go to the doctor's office, okay? But when I do, oh, I love looking at People magazines and Star magazine and Us magazine. And did you know Leanne Rimes is having a horrible time with her husband and she's almost bankrupt? I know, I know. That does nothing to give me hope. That does nothing to give me hope. And so we've got this message here written for us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, he says, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, oh wait, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, moved by the Holy Spirit. So, so what, what Titus is learning here is that these are not just Paul's words, but these are God's words. Well, why is this a big deal? If you go back to the Old Testament, there's many reminders of hold to the truth, hold to the truth, hold to the truth, remember what I've done to you. And yet, we, like they, are prone to wander. Prone to wander is that good old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. We are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God I love. Prone to leave the God I love. We are so easily distracted. God is saying, I am your true north. I am your north star. I am the, the point that will never move, will never deceive you, will never mislead you, will never take you down a path you shouldn't go. I want you to dwell on that. I want you to set your course on that. It was a big deal then in this church. It was a big deal at the point of creation when things got off track. And they got off so quickly with one word. God said, I don't want you to eat from, I, you can eat from any tree of the garden, but I don't want you to eat from that tree. And Satan wields his magic into the garden and comes to Eve and says, did God tell you you couldn't touch that tree? Ever so slightly, touching, eating, uh, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, slightly took her off course. And her faithful husband was right there beside her going, yep, I guess that's right, we're not supposed to do that. And he joined along with her. And that led us on this course just by being one word off. It was a big deal in this church. It was a big deal in creation. It's a big deal in our lives and so Paul is reminding that we are to teach what is fitting with sound doctrine. We're supposed to have an ongoing conversation beyond just Sunday morning about what is true, about what is right, sound doctrine, what is healthy, what is free from error, what is good for the soul. That's what you're going to do with this church. And so that is the foundation of verse 1 that we're looking at today. And I'll be done in another hour and a half because we've got, 
We've got nine more verses to go through. I am sorry. So our foundation is established. That's what a grace-shaped church looks like, right? It's, it's one that's grounded in the truth, that's grounded in understanding what God has done for them. So now we're going to continue on to where the foundation now shifts from you, the church, to now you, the church, the instructions for men and women and how we're supposed to interact with each other. And so we're going to continue reading in verses 2 through 10. And I, I promise I'll get you out of here on time. I'm going to read this for you, but really these are the characteristics that make up the church, how we engage with, the, with each other. So we've established that uh, Paul has said to Titus, I want you to appoint elders, I want you to appoint teachers that are sound in their doctrine, and Titus, I want you, I want the pastors, I want the staff, I want everybody who's in a leadership role in this church to teach what's fitting to sound doctrine. And this is what it should produce in our lives, and these are the instructions for your church. It says in verse 2, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. And sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, that they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Go back to, to, to the first slide. I'm going to spend a few minutes on the first half of that. What Paul is describing to Titus is six categories of people, men, women, and also by age. And he's got very specific directions to these different categories of people. Because what's happened is this church has gotten off course, as I said, what is happening inside the church looks very similar to what's happening at the bar or what's happening at the school or what's happening at the work. There's no difference between the two. They've been easily misled. And so he's saying to Titus, this is what your church should look like. And he says the older men and older women, they should be the wise examples. They should be the ones that, that really look different for your church. They should be sober-minded. They should be dignified. They shouldn't be talking about the good old days and how things were back then or, oh, I got these aches and pains and things like that. No, these should be the people that we're standing on. These should be the people that, that, that have, have gone through life and have experienced stuff and, and, and God has truly changed them. They are to be faithful faithful in their love for their families, faithful in their love for the church, faithful in their love for the lost, and most importantly, faithful in their understanding of the truth. These should be the ones that we're looking towards. Because he says, older men, I want you to help the younger men. Because it's so simple. This is great. He, he just says one simple thing to the younger men. He just says, because they're not self-controlled. I just love that. Older men, you got to do this because the younger guys aren't self-controlled. And what that means, that, I mean, that's a physical fact. That I think it's called the, the hypothalamus or something in the brain. As young guys, it doesn't seal up. 
until they're, I think, in their mid-20s. So young guys do stupid things. Young guys jump off of roofs. Young guys, you know, just do dumb things. And so he says, older men, you got to help these younger guys because, hey, you were a younger guy once, and you can remember jumping off the roof, and you remember what it did to your leg. He says, I want you to be a good example to these younger guys because they lack self-control. So older guys, that's your responsibility. I don't want you talking about, oh, I'm tired. And, and, and that's kind of what our society does with older people. And the older people we're talking about here are people that are probably... Uh, probably my age, where our kids have kind of grown up and they've, they've, they've decided to move on and, and now I'm at a stage where I'm not necessarily changing diapers and such. So it's probably, let's just to arbitrarily pick a number, we'll just say, and don't hate me, I'm just picking a number, okay? And I'm throwing myself into the same category, but let's just say 50 and above is now older. Would that be a reasonable thing? In a few more years, I might say 60 and above is older. But for right now, we're going to say 50 and above is older. Those in which, you know, should have some wisdom in their lives that can be applied in those younger folks' lives. What's interesting about the specific instruction to older women teaching the younger women, the reason that was put there was Paul said to Titus, I don't want you engaging with younger women. I want the older women to teach the younger women. Because Titus was a young guy, and I don't have to put two and two together on why that was maybe a good instruction for Titus not to spend time with young women teaching them or coaching them or what have you. I want the older women to do that because they were younger women once too. They know what it's like to be a mom. They know what it's like to look after, be nurturing and maternal. Us guys don't. So I don't even want you going near that side of the fence, Titus. I want to make sure the older women are teaching the younger women. When Jill first met me, we're in college, and there was one date night we had, and this is a crazy date night we had. We were going to do laundry together, okay? And so she's got this huge basket of laundry, and I have nothing, okay? And we're going down to the laundry mat, and, and she looks at me, and she says, dude, where's your laundry? And I said, laundry? I don't even have laundry soap. And this is a few months into the semester. And so I explained to her that, well, on the baseball team, they give you this gigantic, um, it's like a safety pin, but it was a huge safety pin. And if you could, whatever you could get onto that safety pin, the equipment people would, would wash for you. Well, the intention was to put your uniform and practice stuff on there. I put everything on there. <laughs> T-shirts, socks, you name it, to where this thing was just this ball of material. And when it came out of the dryer, everything was all wrinkled up into one corner because of that safety pin. And so that was my whole life. And so, so I explained it to her and she said, well, what about your sheets on your bed? <laughs> I hadn't thought about putting that on the safety pin either. <laughs> but I, but, I, but I, I wanted to say I wasn't completely uncivilized. It was, it was I said, well, I wash it when the semester flips over, because that's when I can go back to my folks' house and I can just let someone else wash it. She says, you mean to tell me you wash your sheets once a semester? And she still married me. Still married me. So here's why you don't want men teaching women. We are clods. You know, we, we do not know how things work. Now, what I want to make clear here is, is that I think our culture has devalued the value of women. 
And I think it's happened for a variety of reasons. Men have not done their job. For the, for the, I'd say that's probably the prime responsibility. Our jobs are to treat our women as if we would lay down our life for them, as if we would slay the dragon, which we would take a bullet for them. But too often, men, we have shirked that responsibility. And so what's happened in culture is women are survivors. Women will die for their young. And so they have risen up and said, okay, if you're not going to do it, men, we will do it. But I got to tell you, that wasn't God's original plan for us. God's original plan was that men would take the lead of their home, would take the lead of the culture, would be upright, would be faithful in their love, would be persevering, would take a bullet for their bride, take a bullet for their daughters. And yet men have shirked that responsibility. And so the original instruction where Paul is telling Titus, I want the older women teaching the younger women, there was meaning, there, it, it, it meant something. And I think it still means something today. But our culture has kind of devalued us older people to some extent. We've kind of said, well, you guys are out to pasture and you're really good for nothing anymore. We want to invest in these younger people. Older people, we have a responsibility to our younger ones to be those wise examples. You don't buy, don't buy uh, you know, the, what the market is telling you and saying, older people, your job is to get retired and live this life out in Boca and just do nothing. No, your job is to invest in these younger folks. They're dependent upon you. And then the verse transitions in, chat, in verse 7. He says to Titus again, he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about you. A little transition in the middle. He's talking to older women, younger women, older men, sorry, older men, young, you know what I mean, older and youngers. And then, and then there's this specific message again. In case you didn't hear me, Titus, I want you to be the example. And I think what he's saying here is he says, Rick, I want you to be the example. Brooke, I want you to be the example. Pete, I want you to be ex the example. You show them how to live. You show them what it means to follow sound doctrine so that no one can put you to shame. So that the way I look on Sunday is the same way I look on Tuesday. They can't say, oh, Wow. That's the Christian guy who has those neat quotes in his cubicle, yet he's the same guy over there dancing on the table, maybe had a little too much to drink on Saturday. Or that's the, 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 the lady who has these great quotes and a cross on her desk, and yet is the first one to engage in possibly some conversation in the office that isn't edifying with other people. I want you guys to be the example. And then to sum it up in this last passage, and, and I know you're going to say to yourself, well, this doesn't apply to us today, but I think it does. If we look in verse 9, it says, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So that, and we're going to save that so that just for the end here. I think I've got six more pages left. Oh my goodness, this is going to be terrible. I don't have six more pages. No doubt there was a slave culture, there was a servant culture in that context. But if you look at the words that are chosen there, bond servant and submission, 
Those are words that Paul uses all the time. Bondservant or slave is, is, is the word doulos, which means a slave. But Paul refers to himself as a doulos, as a bondservant, a bondservant to Christ. And so while we might be able to say, well, I don't think this applies to us today because we don't live in this type of culture, well, I'm here to say maybe it does. And the reason I say maybe it does is because we are being taught some sound doctrine here on how we're to live in any situation in which there are people in authority over us. And the easiest one to think of is work. The harder one lately to think about is from a political standpoint, who's been placed in leadership over us. That word submission is the Greek word hupotasso, which literally means to rank under. It means to take rank under. It doesn't mean you're less valuable. It doesn't mean you're less important. It doesn't mean you, you, you weren't created in the image of God. It just says to take rank under, to be submissive. Our culture has kind of made that word to seem like a pretty weak word and a word in which you don't want to be submissive. That's not where you want to be. God says, I have a perfect order for you, and I want you to rank under in situations. And Jesus was the greatest example of that, and that he understood what it meant to rank under God the Father. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was just praying that that cup would pass from him, that he wouldn't have to go through this death, he says, but not my will, but your will. He ranked under. It didn't devalue his value or his importance. And I think that's an example for us, an example for Christians in general. If we understand what it means to be submissive, what it means to be humble, what it is to not have to be the one that always has to have the answers or take the lead. There's something beautiful about the picture that's being painted here by how slaves were to act to their masters. The slave, the doulos, the ones that are slaves to Christ, we understand our position. We understand what Christ has done for us. We should look different. I can't think of anything more beautiful that would look different than if people saw us Christians, understanding our spot, that, that, that we were okay with ranking under, that we allow the authority to be authority over us. That looks different than what culture tells us today. Well, there's a common theme that we see all through Titus. There's a faithfulness, as Pete talked about, a faithfulness in our families, a faithfulness in our character, and more importantly, as we talked about today, a faithfulness in sound doctrine, a faithfulness of staying rooted in the truth. So I want you to ask yourself a couple things today. And the first one is, am I rooted in the truth? Am I rooted in the truth? Am I just rooted in on Sunday, or am I rooted in the truth Monday through Sunday? It, it, do my roots go down deep, or are they just kind of penetrating the soil? Am I fertilizing that plant with more nourishment, with more truth? Or am I fertilizing it with a people magazine? That's my own one I'm going to take there. What are you doing to let those roots grow deep? Because roots are there for a purpose. Not only do they pull nourishment out of what you're rooted in, but they also help you withstand the things that happen above the storms of life, the trials, the maybe the misleading scripture that you'll hear from time to time, misleading truth. So ask yourself, am I rooted in the truth? And what potentially does that look like? It's got to be more than Sunday, folks. 
It's got to be Monday through Saturday. It's got to be a men's Bible study, a women's Bible study, a couple's Bible study. It's, it's small groups in your home. It's a daily devotional time. It, it's feasting on the Word of God all the time. It's feasting on the Word of God all the time. That's what being rooted in the truth is, and then you won't be moved one degree. And then I guess the instruction is, is does my life look like the instruction? And really the two things I want you to think about there is, is am I a mentor to somebody? Is someone looking at me? Is, is someone I'm able to invest in? And then am I being mentored? Do I have someone that I could look up to? Do I have someone that I can lean on, someone who can sharpen me? And I would encourage you, if you're not a mentor or being mentored, I want you to be, find someone, tap them on the shoulder. Look for someone who is that godly example, who is dignified in their thinking, dignified in their life, and say, could you spend some time with me? And if you are dignified and yet don't have anybody following you, go tap your hand on a young person and say, would you mind if we spend a little bit of time together? And if you can't find anybody like that, go over and see Wendy. Wendy has a whole flock of kids at Palomino School. And the name of her program is called Mentor Kids USA. Those kids need us. And so go see Wendy if you kind of are lost and don't know if you need to tap someone on the shoulder here. Well, let's close with just this thought. You know, when Jesus was being... Um, tricked by the Pharisees. They said something to him. They said, okay, of all the laws, what's most important? And they're trying to trick him into coming up with, you know, oh boy, what am I going to do now? He says, it's real simple. I want you to love God and I want you to love others. And as the more you get to know me and those of you who do, do know me, I'm just a simple country boy who likes to see things simple. Love God and love others. That's my, that's my, that's my little mantra I keep in front of me all the time. And you know what's great about this particular passage we looked at today? It's exactly that. It's love God. It's, it's teach. It's, it's rooted in the truth. Love God by being close to him, meditating on his word. Love God. And then the other portion that we just covered was the loving others part. Love God and love others. I love how scripture just continues to, to weave its way through this. Well, let's take a look at your test real quick. Pull that out. 1 through 14. Anybody feeling nervous? Nervous? Okay. How many had more than seven were real? How many had more than six were real? Who? Oh, good. How many had more than five were real? Five or more? Okay, a few more hands. Four or more? Good, a few more hands. Okay, three or more? Three or more? Everybody, everybody who's done three or more, put your hands up. I want to see you. Good, good, good. You guys are smart. Uh, two or more? Everybody? Good. There's only one. Only one. And guess what it was? It was Proverbs 4, 7. It says, acquire wisdom, and with your acquiring, you get understanding. Acquire wisdom, and with your acquiring, get understanding. I don't want to freak you out, but if you want to know, I'll tell you later where some of those came from. Some of them were Shakespeare, some of them were Ben Franklin, 
Some of them for the Koran, and some of them were for the Book of Mormon. See how easy it is to get misled or taken down a path? That's why you're here. You're leaning on sound doctrine. And I want you to question guys like me or Pete if you do not hear sound doctrine. Because we really seek to meditate on this word before we give it to you. And so that's my hope and my trust and my encouragement for you is this church is going to be rooted in sound doctrine and that we are going to look different in the way we live with each other in these instructions. So I want you to be encouraged, but I also want you to be challenged a little bit today. I want you to look for someone to mentor or maybe you're to be mentored. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your timeless truth Oh, Lord, it, it, it hits me today just as it probably hit Titus oh so many years ago. Lord, help us not to get misled. Lord, bring clarity to your word to us. Lord, I pray that you would protect, protect us because the evil one is bent on stealing, killing, and destroying us. Culture is teaching us a message that is taking us away from the true north, you, Lord, help us to remain rooted in that. And may people see a genuineness of love within us that is so beautiful that they're drawn to you. Lord, that's what our call is on our lives. That's what this church is all about. We want to continue to grow in our knowledge of you that produces godliness in our lives, and that looks so beautiful to others. It's not condemning. It's not judgmental. It's not any of these things that, that maybe church has been known to be, but it's just truly something that is beautiful that draws people to yourself. Lord, because we go back to understanding that it was through your death on the cross, it was your death for me that's given me life. Lord, burden our hearts with that reminder. Lord, we do thank you for this precious time we've had together as a family. May you be glorified, and may you continue to help us grow in the knowledge of you. And we give you all the glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.